Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to turn with me again in your Bibles to Philippians 1, Philippians 1, verses 3 to 5. Here, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the Philippians, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, so far. Well, dear congregation, how would you describe Christian believers? Probably most of us would would say something like, well, believers are people who trust in Jesus Christ. And, And that's true. Believers do trust in Jesus Christ. But it's interesting, isn't isn't it, to to notice that what Paul highlights about the Philippian believers, what he rejoices over and thanks God for, is their fellowship, their partnership. And my guess is that that many of us would not have said that or, or even thought of that. Fellowship, at least to some extent, has become a foreign concept to us. You see, we live in a world, and I'm speaking in general here, that doesn't think much of fellowship at all. Our individualistic culture encourages us to just think about ourselves, about me, myself, and I. Fellowship in general isn't valued. It isn't prized in our culture. And that can be a temptation and a struggle in the church too. We we can be tempted to keep our spiritual lives to ourselves. I can be tempted to think my spiritual life is private. It's between me and God. And so we develop this kind of, uh, sort of an I-church mentality, where we're all just our our own little island. Even can even do that in, in coming to worship. It's very easy to think and to live this way. Because it feels safer, doesn't it? It feels safer. But the reality is that it's not. It's, it's actually destructive. I came across a rather startling uh, but insightful quote this week in this regard from Kevin DeYoung, a pastor and author in, in America, and he says this, The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. What's he saying? He's saying this idea that Christianity is just about me and God, that it has nothing or or very little to do with the church. It's destructive and ultimately fatal. But it's also unbiblical. Our text is clear, and and so are many others. And and the Lord's Supper, which we hope to celebrate next week, confirms this. Christians, believers, are not islands. They are partners with each other. Years ago, one of the games that people used to play at social events, like like church events and school events, I don't know if they still play it today, but I remember playing sometimes or seeing the game, the the three-legged race. Maybe some of you know that game too. It's, a, it's really a picture of, of fellowship. It, it works something like this. You, you get paired up with, with someone else and you stand beside them and then uh, the two inside legs of each, each of you get, get tied together with a, with a cloth or, or a rag 
And, and it gets tied together, so you're, you're tied to your partner. You're, you're, your legs are tied together. And then you each throw your arm around the other person's shoulder. And, and then you're, so you're bound to your partner. You're, you're joined together in this race. And, and you have to race together. And it's not always easy. But you're participants, you see. You're partners in the same race. You're in fellowship together. In a similar way, Christians are people in fellowship, in partnership, in close relationship together. And that fellowship, that partnership, that close relationship is a precious thing. It's a precious thing. That's what we see from our text, Philippians 1, verses 3 to 5. Paul is filled with thanksgiving for the Philippian church's fellowship. He, He prizes it. He rejoices in it. The fellowship believers have is a precious blessing. That's the lesson we we hope to learn with God's help from our passage this morning. And my prayer is if you are here this morning and and you're unconverted, you're unsaved, my prayer is that you will see what you are missing and, and that you will come to Christ and become part of that fellowship. And for those of us who are here and are believers, my prayer is that we will become more thankful for the fellowship we have and more diligent in dependence on God to live out of that fellowship, to live in that fellowship together because it is such a rich, a precious blessing. Well, what is so precious about it? Why is Paul so overjoyed about the Philippian church's fellowship? That's what we hope to see as we look at our text under the theme, the Philippian church's precious fellowship. Well, notice three things from our text. First of all, it's gospel focus. Secondly, it's consistent character. And thirdly, it's blessed creator. First, then, let's consider its gospel focus. Notice what Paul says about the fellowship that the Philippian church uh, has. He says it's a fellowship, it's a partnership, it's a sharing in what? In the gospel. That's what Paul's so thankful and joyful about. That's what makes their fellowship so precious to Paul because the gospel was so precious to him. He's thankful for their fellowship. He's thankful for their partnership with with each other and with him. They're sharing together in the gospel. But but what does that look like? What what does he mean? What what does a fellowship with a gospel focus, a fellowship in the gospel involve? Well, for one thing, it involves a shared faith, a shared dependence on the gospel. The people in the Philippian church, they, they were so different from each other in so many ways. You you think of the three that we, we know about and from Acts 16. There's Lydia, the successful businesswoman. And there's that slave girl who was delivered of a demon. And then there's that Philippian jailer, Roman. They were different in so many ways, but, but they'd all heard the gospel, of, uh, the, news, the good news of salvation in and through Jesus Christ, and they realized they needed it. They realized that by grace, by, grace, by the work of the Spirit, they realized that they needed a Savior, and that Jesus Christ was the Savior, the, the, the Savior proclaimed to them in the gospel. He was the Savior they needed. And they believed in Him. They trusted in Him. They lived on the gospel together. They had a shared dependence on the gospel. And Paul was thankful for that. He prized that. He rejoiced that they had joined with him and with other believers by faith in Christ, trusting in Jesus Christ. You see, he knew. He knew by his own experience that the gospel is what we so desperately need. 
The gospel is God's good news of salvation for lost sinners who by nature are under God's wrath. And that's what we all are left to ourselves. We are sinners. We are under the wrath of God. Not, not one of us can stand before God on the judgment day and in ourselves say, be able to say, I'm not guilty. We can't stand before God and be declared not guilty on our own account. Left to ourselves, we're all corrupt. We're all guilty. Our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We are like an unclean thing. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're unclean, and nothing we can do can change that. Everything we try only makes us more unclean and and more sinful. We cannot save ourselves from God's holy and just wrath. We cannot save ourselves from God's everlasting punishment in hell. You can't, and I can't. No one can, mere, mere human. Left to ourselves, we are without God and without hope, without real lasting hope in this world. But the gospel is God's news of salvation for exactly those kind of people, the kind of people we all are by nature. It's his news of salvation for lost, hopeless, helpless sinners. It's the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever, it doesn't matter your, 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 how wealthy you are, it doesn't matter how poor you are, it doesn't matter how educated you are, it doesn't matter, none of that matters. Whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is the news that there is salvation, there is eternal life in and through Jesus Christ the divine Son of God who made himself of no reputation, who came and fellowshiped with sinners, humbling himself as God's servant for their salvation, the one who became obedient to death even, the death of the cross, the one who suffered the wrath and the curse of God, not because he had sinned, but because he was taking the place of sinners. And God accepted him. He raised him from the dead and he exalted him to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. And that's where he is even now, the right hand of God, to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. He's there as the most willing savior of sinners and his promise is that all who trust in him, young, old, whoever, whoever looks to him in faith will receive full and free forgiveness, full and free salvation. That's the gospel congregation, and that's the gospel we so desperately need. You see, then, it's so important. It's so important to have that fellowship in the gospel that our text is talking about. It's so important because if you don't have it, if you don't have faith, if you don't have that dependence on the gospel that believers share in together, then you aren't really part of that fellowship. And you don't belong at the Lord's table. You may be part of the church outwardly, but if you're not, but, but if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, you're not part of the fellowship in the gospel. And you're not saved. Is that true, perhaps, of some of you? it is, and don't be content to stay where you are. Don't, don't, think, don't think if you're, you're 
a confessing member, yet, yet you have to say you're not believing, you're not saved, you're personally. Don't think, well, I guess I just better not come to the Lord's Supper next week then. No, but turn from your sins, turn from your unbelief, and trust in Jesus Christ. Because the gospel fellowship is open to all who trust in him. Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in him? Do you trust in him? Do you look to him alone for all of your salvation? If it is, if that's true of you, if, if you do have that faith in the gospel, no matter how weak, no matter how imperfect, no matter how full of, of struggles and fears that faith may be, when you have that true personal faith in Jesus Christ, so that you, you cannot do without him, that personal, you have that personal dependence of, upon him to be your savior, then you have that fellowship in the gospel that our text speaks of. And all who have that fellowship all who share that faith in Christ are invited to come to the table. Maybe you say, oh, how do I know if I have faith? How do I know? Well, you look for fruit in your life. You see, fellowship in the gospel involves not only a shared faith in the gospel, a shared dependence on the gospel. It also involves a shared devotion to the gospel. You think of the, the two people in Philippi in Acts 16 that are, are especially uh, highlighted as, coming to, as people who came to Christ, Lydia and the, and the Philippian jailer. Acts 16 tells us that after she believed and was baptized, what did Lydia do? She, she opened her house to Paul and his helpers. The text says she constrained them. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, please come and stay with me. She showed them hospitality. And the Philippian jailer, when, when he was converted, he not only washed the wounds on the backs of Paul and Silas, the wounds that they had gotten from, from being beaten by the, by the rulers and the, and the people in the city, he also, that jailer also brought them into his house and, and he fed them. You see, they were devoted to the gospel and it didn't end there. Because Paul notes in Philippians 4 how, how after he left and went to Thessalonica, you can look at that in Philippians 4, the Philippians continued to partner with him in the ministry of the gospel. They sent gifts to him to provide for his needs as he, as he sought to bring the gospel to others. And later on in, in 2 Corinthians 8, we, Paul tells the Corinthians how generously and eagerly the believers in Macedonia, and that includes the Philippians, how generously and eagerly they gave for the needs of other saints. Even now, when Paul was in prison in Rome, the, the Philippians showed care for him. Paul thanks them in Philippians 4 for the gifts that they had sent him through Epaphroditus. The point is the Philippian church not only had a shared faith in the gospel, they also had, as a fruit of that shared faith, that shared dependence on the gospel, a shared devotion to the gospel. They were Paul's partners. Paul's partners in the gospel. The gospel was everything to them. In so many ways, in many other ways, they were also different from each other and different from Paul. But their shared faith in the gospel brought them and kept them together and united them and shared a devotion to the gospel. And so it should be for us. The gospel congregation, if it is everything to us, it should be binding us together, binding us together in fellowship and in partnership with one another for the sake, for the work of the gospel, for the glory of God. Is it? If it's not, if, if the gospel doesn't really mean anything to us, 
if it has no impact at all on the way we live our lives, if it it has no impact on, on how we speak with one another and speak to one another and speak about one another, if we have no interest at all in the gospel, then then perhaps we need to seriously question. We need to seriously question whether we have this fellowship in the gospel that the Philippian believers had. Perhaps we need to question whether we really are saved. And certainly we need to repent and humble ourselves before God and turn in faith to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for cleansing. And he will forgive. He will save. The Bible's so clear on this. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved and will have precious fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. But not only that, also with fellow believers. They will have fellowship in the gospel. And the gospel is everything to us. And there will be fellowship and unity between us no matter how different we may be from each other in other ways and no matter how many other issues we may disagree on. The Philippian church's fellowship was a precious fellowship, not only because of its gospel focus, but but also because of its consistent character. And Paul highlights that. He thanks God for, he says in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul thinks back to when when he first came to Philippi. And he thinks about the gift he had just received. And and he thinks about everything in between. And and he sees how their fellowship in the gospel, their shared faith in the gospel, their shared devotion to the gospel has been consistent all the way through. It's been ongoing ever since his first visit to Philippi. And that's precious to him, he's saying. That's precious. That's a precious thing. That's a precious blessing. You see, he knew it hadn't been easy for them. If you think back again to his first time in Philippi, maybe you remember, children, that he and Silas ended up where? They ended up in jail. They ended up in prison. Why? Well, because a demon-possessed girl had had been following him around for several days and, and crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And she kept doing this day after day, and, and Paul finally, he finally became upset. He became upset, not because what she was saying was untrue, but because it was her that was saying it, because everybody knew she was demon-possessed, and that meant his preaching was in danger of being associated with demons, with Satan, with the works of the devil. And so he finally turned and he said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the demon came out, right? The demon came out. Wonderful. Wonderful. But it created an uproar. Because you see, this girl had been enslaved. She had been enslaved by some men as a fortune teller. As long as she had been possessed by that demon, she, she had some power in being able to tell the future or at least making, making people think she could tell the future. And so these men had, had, had enslaved her. They, the poor girl, they did no, no care for her. They just wanted money, money out of her. And they enslaved her to make money. But now that spirit, that demon had gone. It had left her, been cast out. And their hope of making money from her was gone. So they got angry, right? They got angry and they seized Paul and Silas and they brought them before the rulers of the city and they accused them falsely. And the rulers, they had no interest in checking to see if the charges were true. They, they immediately had Paul and Silas beaten 
and then thrown into jail. That's what had happened to Paul and Silas in Philippi. The point is, Paul knew that Philippi wasn't an easy place to be a Christian. It wasn't an easy place. There, were, there was opposition. There was hostility. There was always the threat, the constant threat of persecution. And yet, the believers there had continued to partner together in the gospel. They had continued to partner together in faith. They had continued to partner together to hold fast to the gospel and to promote the gospel wherever and however they could. In prayer, in conversations with, with the talents God had given them to, to build up the church. And, and, and in giving, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3, that the Macedonian Christians, by the grace of, of God, even in, in, in a great affliction and great trials, they were freely willing to give even beyond their ability for the needs of other believers. They, they were that devoted. They had continued in partnership together with each other and with other believers and with Paul in devotion to the gospel from the first day until now. They hadn't abandoned their fellowship together. They had not given up, even, even when their fellowship in the gospel got hard even when it got costly. Why? Because they understood that it was more costly to give up. It was more costly to give up. The gospel was the only, their only hope of salvation. So they could not, they would not give up their fellowship, their partnership, their shared faith in the gospel and their shared devotion to the gospel. They didn't pull out, even, even when it may have been tough. The gospel had captured and captivated them. Has it captured you? Have you come to realize that the gospel, the gospel concerning Jesus Christ and Him crucified, have you come to realize that it's your only hope? Has that gospel, the gospel that is proclaimed from the Word of God, captured your heart? Has it captured your life? You see, that's what makes fellowship in the gospel consistent, like the Philippians, when the gospel has captured our hearts. Now, I don't know for sure, but my guess is that the consistent character of the Philippians church's fellowship is a little bit convicting for most of us. Maybe a lot convicting. It's convicting for me. You see, even as true Christians, even when the gospel has captured us, it doesn't always captivate us. At least not like it should. We can struggle to keep the gospel the focus of our hearts and our lives and our relationships. But that's why, congregation, that's why we need the means of grace. That's why we need to be in God's word. That's why we need to be under the preaching of the gospel in church. That's why we need the communion of the saints. That's why we need the church. You see, congregation, the church is God's way of helping Christians be consistent in the fellowship of the gospel. It's God's way, God's means of helping them be consistent in their shared faith in the gospel and their shared devotion to the gospel. You remember the book of Hebrews? You remember the book of Hebrews? I'm going to just look at it for a moment. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Take heed, verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an, un, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, daily. That's fellowship, isn't it? 
fellowship in the gospel. And don't forsake, he says later in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling together of the saints. It's God's way of helping you to be consistent in the fellowship of the gospel. Because it's where the gospel is preached. And where it's signed and sealed also through the sacraments, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so if you are a Christian, if you are a believer by grace, if you are someone who confesses that you seek your life outside of yourself in Christ, and yet you struggle to live consistently in faith and devotion to the gospel, and that grieves you, a solution then isn't to stay away from the table. The solution is to repent and to confess your sins to God and to ask for his forgiveness and help and go to the table looking to Christ. Because it's there that the Lord in the bread and wine as the symbols of his body and blood, it's there that he signs and he seals to you the gospel of salvation in him. The Lord's Supper is one of the means he uses to to draw you closer to him so that the gospel captivates our hearts once again. It's one of the means he uses to strengthen our fellowship in the gospel, our partnership in the gospel with other believers to make it more consistent. You see, he's so willing to do that. He's so willing to do that because he is, he is the blessed creator of this fellowship, this partnership of believers together in the gospel. That's the third thing, the third thing we see about the Philippian church's precious fellowship. It's blessed creator. And we see that in verse 6 very clearly. That, that's a well-known verse where Paul declares his confidence in the, to the Philippians that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's very clear there, but, but we, we're going to save that verse for another time and look more specifically at that verse. But, but, we, but we do see that it tells us that it's God who creates that fellowship. And that's why then when Paul talks in verse 5 about the Philippian church's fellowship in the gospel, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, thank you, Philippians, for your consistent fellowship in the gospel. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say in verse 3 and 4? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, with joy. You see what he's saying? He's saying God is the creator of this precious fellowship. He creates it, and he creates it by his sovereign grace. Remember Lydia? Remember Lydia in Acts 16? How did she come to faith in the gospel? How? How? The Lord opened her heart. And that's how it always happens, congregation. The Lord comes in sovereign grace and opens hearts to hear his word and to heed it, to respond to it in repentance and faith. And it's in that way that we become partners in the gospel with other believers. It's all by his grace. It's God, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, it's God who has called his people unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's an important reminder, beloved, as we, as we look forward to the Lord's Supper next week. We don't come to the Supper. We don't come to the Supper to confess that we are somehow worthy, that we have somehow earned the right by our works or by our repentance or even by our faith to have fellowship in the gospel, to be able to partake of the body and blood of the Lord. No, no. We come to confess that our fellowship in the gospel it's, it's all his work. It's all his work. 
work that he has done out of sheer grace. God is the creator of fellowship in the gospel. He creates it by sovereign grace. How humbly thankful we should be. How humbly thankful, humbly thankful we should be. Not proud. When he has made us part of that fellowship. We never deserve to be there. All the glory goes to him and to him alone. But what an encouragement that is also. For you who do not yet know this fellowship, maybe you are here, you don't, you don't have this fellowship in the gospel, this partnership. How do you get it? You go to God. Ask Him to bring you into this fellowship. He will not refuse you. He is the God of grace. The God of grace. He is the one who gave His Son so that hell-deserving sinners who had allied themselves, fellowshiped with the devil, might be reconciled to him and be brought into fellowship, communion with him, and be brought into the church, the fellowship of all his people. That is what the gospel declares. Go to him. Oh, may everyone here have and enjoy this fellowship, fellowship in the gospel. Believers, fellow believers, let's be devoted to the fellowship, fellowship that there is in the gospel. There's no fellowship more precious more precious than that. Amen.